Hello and welcome to Game Changers with Vicki Abelson. That would be me and my guest today is the divine Ken Levine. Will I ever get sick of saying that? Hi, Ken. <laughs> How you doing, Vicki? Good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you too. I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, I'm, I'm going to do a little housekeeping. We were just talking about Facebook and how they no longer, you know, it, they even make the Zoom link go private and I have to Wait, go- Wait, you have a problem with Facebook? <laughs> really? Okay, really? So, Somebody so, has an issue with Facebook? <laughs> so have you not, I mean, how you, okay, your show doesn't go live on Facebook. Your, your no, mine is just a regular audio podcast. Hollywood and Levine, Hollywood I shamelessly Levine. slide that in there. We're going to uh, But say it's it a available lot. on iTunes and Spotify and iHeart and all the, the different places. So no, it doesn't go on Facebook. It doesn't go on Facebook. So you haven't run into any issues like I keep running into. No, um, no. My wait. issues are that I go on my news feed and right. all my friends' parents are dying. And that's, oh, that's what I get on my, on my news feed. Uh, um, excuse my eyes going back and forth, but I'm just posting this again because Facebook won't send notifications. So Ken, we were just talking before we came live about COVID. I told you that I lead sort of the COVID crazies and how has, what, what has your, what has your life been like for the last two years? How is, how, how have you adjusted to COVID? Well, I spent like the first 60 weeks pretty much in lockdown. Right. Um, and I, you know, look, I, I'm a writer. I, I usually work from home. Right. So I, I spent a lot of time just writing, just trying to, to keep myself busy. Um, but, you know, since the, um, you know, got the vaccines and things like that, I, I sort of venture out, I'll, I'll eat outdoors uh, or, in a, a restaurant that I know is not really crowded. And I, I see that they actually do check for your vaccinations, but I don't go to, uh, to football stadiums or Dodger stadium or the Rose parade or anything right. like that. Uh, right. To me, that's really just asking for it. Uh, so I, I try to be as careful as I can you know, with the understanding that uh, anyone can get it. So you just have to- Do you have a, do you have a, a, a pandemic bubble? Like what, have there been people that you've, friends, family that you've seen throughout the pandemic? Me, my wife and Nicole Kidman. <laughs> it's just been the three of us. And it's worked out great because Nicole has never come around. <laughs> So I actually watched an old Nicole Kidman la movie last night that I had never seen before. That's on Netflix. And I can't that's remember when her name. face was moving and stuff. It was when her face was moving. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah uh, kind of had a bubble with my daughter and, and son-in-law and also with my son and daughter-in-law and granddaughter up North. Uh, but, uh, you know, we really haven't done that much. No carnival cruises for us. <laughs> In the yeah. last two years, of course, I, I, I don't know why anyone cruise. takes a carnival cruise, but I still. I have a friend on a cruise right now. On a this cruise. is insane. What? what? <laughs> it's just insane. I don't. A super spreader that you can't get off of. I know. That's a great idea. 
So, so were you guys like having the groceries delivered and doing all of that stuff? Oh yeah. For, for a long time. Yes. You know, you, you order all these groceries and you say, okay, I want grape nuts. And they go, (laughs) well, okay. We couldn't find grape nuts, but we got something just like it. Count Chocula. (laughs) Yes. And we're getting these things like, wait, what is this? Did we order squash? What? What is this? Well, that's kind of like an apple. <laughs> well, or else I was getting like the apples that were all like beat up and bruised and cans that were banged in. And yeah, right. there, was, there was a bunch of that going right. on. Right. You order like, you know, <laughs> four chickens and you get one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we went through all so. of that. Uh, our big splurge. <laughs> was uh like every few months we we ordered from zabar's in new york oh so we had like great deli food for mm. like four days nice yeah i just i just that was did, our big uh, treat i just did bagels and locks from new york for new year's it was fantastic yeah um so okay so now now the way it is now omicron crazy all right we were just discussing la just rounded the the height we're just starting to come down so are you more careful have you did you get more careful again with omicron yeah i did mm-hmm. yeah i did uh i tend to eat out more at restaurants um i don't really go out all that much um, have not been to Trader Joe's, you know, in, in the last few weeks, they're calling saying, where are you? So, so, okay. So are you back to ordering your groceries? What are you doing? Well, we've done a couple of Instacarts. Yeah. Yeah. We've done a couple of Instacarts. See, now that I've gone back to doing my own grocery shopping, I can't bear the thought of them picking out my groceries again and getting all that. So yeah, I've, I've, I've run through Ralph's a couple times. Yeah. I'm not licking the floor at Gelson's anymore. I stopped doing that. <laughs> oh, that's a good thing. But yeah. you're still doing outdoor restaurants? Yes, occasionally. Okay. Yeah. So I did three last week. I just did one on Monday and I decided I think I'm done with that for a while too. Because people felt a little too close. Del Taco I- didn't have good <laughs> separation between the tables for you. If one person costs, I went to Nobu Malibu last Tuesday and a woman at a table away from started in Ventura coughed. And I, that's it. A woman coughed two tables. I'm like, no, no, I can't, I don't think I can do this anymore. So it's back to uh, delivery. You know, it, what is that called? Uber eats and all of that stuff. I think. I'm yeah, we do. That. We do Postmates. Yes. Yeah, so, all right, Ken. So, and you've stayed healthy this whole time. So far, although I think I might have gotten it right at the beginning, like just as we were starting the lockdown. And what did um, that look like? I had, so it was like March, 2020. So I had like a fever that went up and down and up and down. And my doctor didn't know what it was. And I went to urgent care and, you know, they tested me for influenza and it wasn't that. There were no COVID tests. Right. Uh, eventually it, it went away. So I, I might've had it very early on. And if so, I consider myself very lucky. I didn't have the thing where I, uh, lost my taste or, uh, or sense of smell. Um, but other than that, I've, did your, did your uh, I've wife just tried to be vi- vigilant. 
Did your wife get it when you were sick? No, no, she wow. did not. So maybe I didn't have it. All right, well. Maybe I had Berry Berry. <laughs> it could but, be that. Or hemorrhagic <laughs> fever, perhaps. Maybe scurvy. Scurvy. You know, does anybody ever get, is just, is, does scurvy still exist? I, well, I, I, it's a pirate disease and I guess there's pirates in <laughs> Somalia. So okay, well. yeah, I guess scurvy does still exist. I, I wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't have to call Instacart to avoid <laughs> scurvy. All right. So have you had all the other vaccines? Have you had the pneumonia vaccine, the shingles vaccine? Have you done all of that? Yeah, I've done all of that. Oh God, I still I've have done to do. all that. Yeah, I still polio I, vaccine and yeah, I've done. No, all the that. polio thing we got when we were kids. We don't. We, you didn't get that again, did you? No, no. but I got it. Yeah, I yeah. just, I, you know, if there's a vaccine, <laughs> I, you know, I'm going for it. So you know, so when smallpox, you... hoof and mouth disease, <laughs> Moderna hoof and mouth disease vaccine. <laughs> I yeah. got it. Not the Johnson and Johnson. You could still get hoof and mouth disease after two months with the Johnson and Johnson, but <laughs> Pfizer and Moderna are pretty good. Were you, were you like first in I was one of the first to get the, the, the vaccine. Did you go to like Dodger State? Where'd you get your vaccine? I got mine at Magic Mountain. That was oh, okay. the only place I could go was Magic Mountain, which is about 40 miles from my house. And, uh, I had like a 1030 appointment and people said, oh my God, you had to drive out to Magic Mountain. And I said, what else have I got to do? <laughs> I'm sitting in my house every day. So yeah, so I drove out to Magic Mountain and you know, they make, we did it all th in the car. Right. And, and then they like made you wait for 15 minutes before you could go home. And I said, could I ride the Colossus during the 15 minutes? So I could get a preview of what the side effects are going to be like. Did you have side effects? Not, you know, um, mild fever and, and headache. Um, very, very livable. Very livable. The I mean, I, I will get the next booster the minute I can. Uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly not uh, holding off because of the side effects. I'm getting comments that you're one of us. You're you you're in a, you're you're in a, you are uh, uh, what is it called when you're when you're granted in when you're we're all yeah. part of the tribe. Yes. So you don't have a lot of anti-vaxxers. You know, I got into a fight with someone who is not an anti-vaxxer, but who was supporting anti-vaxxers in that said we are more dangerous to them than they are to us, and I got crazy. I was like, that's the kind of thinking and speaking that stops people from getting vaccinated. You know, this is crazy talk. Anyway, uh, no, anti-vaxxers do not watch my show. <laughs> they, there's no yeah, love they, here. They don't read my blog too much yeah, either. There's no love here for them. And I was yeah. reading your blog today by Ken Levine. Uh, we'll give another plug. So there's the, the, the podcast, yeah. which is uh, Hollywood and Levine. And I was listening today. I was also listening curiously because you had one of the writers from Dexter New Blood, from the original Dexter and from Dexter yeah, New Blood. Yeah, Clyde Phillips. Mm -hmm. I just finished the, uh, the uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but I'm, I'm still reeling from the finale of Dexter New Blood. Um, but in any case, so 
So Ken, so how do you do your, I assume that you're doing yours remotely. Did you used to have your guest in the studio with you? Yeah, I did. You know, and I would get people like Al Michaels, uh, Nancy Travis and Perry Gilpin, people like that to actually come to the house. But now, obviously I don't. And you know what, being able to do it on Zoom certainly opens it up because I can have guests from anywhere in the world. And yes. I think after a couple of years, at first I was worried about the fidelity issues, but I think people now are so used to hearing interviews done on Zoom right. that it really doesn't bother people as much. So it's really kind of opened things up in, in my podcast. I'm still waiting for Nicole Kidman. She's <laughs> in my bubble, but she won't do my podcast. I, I don't know what... <laughs> But then she has to, you know, get her face to, to move enough so she can. It's speak. yeah. That, but she has great. Clothes. How do you how do you play Lucy when you can't move your face? Okay, my, let's talk about question. Lucy a little bit. I I was listening to your uh to some of your Lucy podcast. I I had a lot of trouble with being the Ricardos. Tell us your feelings about being the Ricardos. Well, my big problem with mm -hmm. it really was the way they portrayed comedy writers. And I know Aaron Sorkin, and I'm a huge fan of his work. And I love Social Network. I re-binged West Wing, uh, Moneyball. I mean, I'm a, an Aaron Sorkin yes. fan. Yes. But uh, he did this in Studio 60, and he did this again in Being the Ricardos, where the comedy writers are just idiots. They're just <laughs> punching bags. <laughs> Everyone is smarter than than the comedy writers. And there's some passive aggressive shit that he's trying to work out. Please work it out with your therapist. You know, it's like for whatever reason, Aaron Sorkin, it just drives him crazy, I guess, that he can't write comedy. And I, I don't understand it because it's like, you know, what he writes wins Oscars. What I write gets two cent residuals. So <laughs> I don't quite see why he's envious of me and what I do. But in, in the movie, the comedy writers who, by the way, actually worked for Lucy for like 50 years because they loved her. Wow. Um, they're, they're portrayed as, as just footstools and only Lucy could come up with a lot of the solutions and basically right. they put is, is that not true did was lucy not lucy was Lu, lucy was very smart and lucy yeah. was a comic genius right but um it didn't take lucy to figure out that when you have people sitting around a table you don't seat them with their backs to the camera <laughs> Doesn't take a comic genius to figure the craft services guy could come up to the director and go, you know, you can't see their faces. Okay. Um, but the show was portrayed as like this joyless, it like, was really horrible um, situation. And my feeling is, even on bad sitcoms, everybody, especially the writers, there's a lot of laughter. And there is a lot of joy when a show is going well and no show in history went as well as I Love Lucy. Right. You're making a comedy, you know, you're, you're not doing Ibsen. Uh, <laughs> you're not doing 
O'Neill. So there's a lot of comedy and people are generally in a good mood. And the way that I Love Lucy was portrayed on this show, you'd think to yourself, you know what? Better to keep my job in the salt mine <laughs> than to go out there. So that's that's the thing that really bothered me the most about that. How did you feel about your girlfriend, Nicole, as Lucy? Because I have opinions. How did you feel? I think she was miscast. Thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, Bet better when she was she's Lucy. She's a great actress. Yeah. She, she's, a, she's a fantastic actress. I've said that so many times, and yet she still doesn't come over. But, <laughs> you know, comedy is not her gift. Yeah. You know, and I think they needed somebody who had a sense of comedy. They couldn't really recreate any of the Lucy comic moments because she she can't do them. You know, I mean, you don't want to cast me in the Tom Brady story (laughs) and and show me throwing a football. (laughs) Although I thought she was more successful in the black and white sequences when she was being Lucy than she was when she was being Lucille Ball. And when I thought like she didn't have that voice, she didn't have the laugh, she didn't have, she didn't have the humor. Yeah, she didn't have any of that. Yeah, she, but, she was just not right. And again, she's a great actress. She's a great actress. Yes. I would go to see her in the Betty Davis story, maybe, <laughs> you know, the Barbara Stanwyck story. But uh, but not not Lucille Ball. Yeah, I, all right. I'm Greer trying. Garson. I like to see her in the Greer Garson story. Uh, okay, so I saw her last night in a movie called Before I Go to Sleep. It's on Amazon or something. Anyway, a thriller from the early '80s. No, from the 2000s. That was really good. She was really great in it. So, yeah. um, giving her a plug for one of her good things that maybe some people haven't seen. She didn't okay. have to stomp grapes. <laughs> so she didn't. So Ken. Have you seen what you're talking about reminds me of how I feel about the Sex in the City reboot. Have you watched any no, of that? No, I haven't watched it. Okay, don't. It, no. Because again, a, another comedy that is absolutely humorless. Nobody smiles. There's no humor. It is, it is torture. It is Sex torture. in the City to me didn't feel like real women talking. It felt like gay men assuming <laughs> the way real women talk. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I miss was... Willie Garson too. I, I worked with him on something, and and he was a dear, sweet man. And uh, it would make me sad to watch that show and and think of of Willie not being on it. They actually, uh, he did like I don't know one or two, a few episodes before he passed, and he and uh, he was so sick when he yeah. And anyway, it was very sad to watch. So, Ken, before we go back and we go through your career and how you got to to do what you do. Um, what what have you binged or what are you binging? What have you watched in the pandemic that that you can recommend that you've loved? <laughs> I know that's putting you on the spot. Okay. But... A Danish show on Netflix called Borgen. Borgen? Borgen. About okay. uh, a first woman prime minister in Denmark. Uh-huh. It's three seasons. It was fantastic. Loved Fabulous. Borgen. Uh, loved Lupin. Yes, me too. Lupin was great. Um, like I said, we binged watched uh, West Wing, mm-hmm. which was great. 
And I'm going back and watching old Golden Girls and shows like that. Um, and 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 I would like to. I I got on a Barbara Stanwyck kick. Wow. And uh, Turner Classic Movies did a whole Barbara Stanwyck festival um, a few months or years ago. I don't know. They all blend <laughs> together. And and I, you know, recorded like six or seven Barbara Stanwyck movies that I'd never seen or heard of. Wow. And uh, watched some of those. And uh, and those were those are really fun. It's always fun to discover a movie. Yeah, there was one movie, and this was like before the Hayes um, Code, probably caused the Hayes Code, but it's called Babyface or something. I I I don't know. You can look it up. But here's the premise: she starts out. And she's very poor and she goes to work in this company mm-hmm. and she literally fucks her way to the top. Wonderful. She just fucks her way up, <laughs> up from one level to the next. Uh-huh. And, and I mean, it's not even, you know, very, uh, you know, clandestine. It's like, th- this is what it is. <laughs> this is what it is. It's Barbara Stanwyck fucking this guy then his manager <laughs> then his boss oh and i'm my. going wow i never saw that on you know tom hatton's <laughs> sunday family <laughs> film series that was that was like pretty wild and shocking so yeah that that's been fun um is barbara stanwick sorry wrong number is that barbara stanwick yeah yeah oh that what a great yeah movie. That yeah was. i saw yeah. that one I saw and that one. That, so had, any, that had a very interesting ending. I, I I don't know if I want to do a spoiler alert for people. Yeah, don't don't do, yeah don't do a spoiler because it had it had an that. interesting end, an ending that you wouldn't see today. So Tony Vincent's asking. So did she get to the top as she was fucking her way to the top? Did she get to the top? Pretty much, yes. So pretty much worked. Okay. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> okay. It was a primer for women <laughs> in the thirties. <30s. laughs> So is there anything of the new movies? Are, are, are you streaming anything new? Is there anything new that's that's catching your interest? I like Tick, Tick, Boom. I really yeah. did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I also liked King Richard more than I thought loved I would. Loved King Richard. It shocked me that I loved King Richard. But I yeah, didn't. I mean, I know it's, you know, Will Smith's annual Oscar grab. <laughs> but this time, I think he might actually have a shot. I thought he was great. Yeah, Did I was see- a little disappointed in Licorice Pizza. I mean, okay, I'm the kid to, we, that we grew have- up in the Valley. And so I was like so primed to love this movie. And parts of it are, are really good. And uh, Bradley Cooper as John Peters Fabulous. is worth the price of admission. But um, I just, I, I was a little let down. It didn't speak to me. I was totally bored. It was it would it was went on and on and on. And there was you could basically cut no 20 story. minutes out of that movie At if least. you just eliminated the scenes of people running. <laughs> there's there's 20 minutes of the the two young people, the, the leads that are just running. They're just running from the teenage fair, from the Hollywood Palladium to Bob's Big Boy in Van Nuys. They just run and you watch them. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that didn't do it for me. Did you, I, I liked the tender bar. Have you seen that? I've not seen that yet. I liked it very much. I've not more seen that I, yet. More than I but thought I was going to. But it's sitting on her coffee table. Have you watched Belfast, which I'm looking forward to? I haven't yet. No, no, I haven't seen Belfast yet. Okay. All right. So don't spoil the laughs. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of laughs, just went back and watched Sophie's Choice. Oh my God. That, wow. Still oh. an incredible film. And did you, I went back and watched Sidney Portier movies uh, last week. And Oh yeah. Those are great. And yeah. they hold Lilies up. of the field and guess who's guess coming, who's to, coming dinner to dinner to serve with love. All to serve with up. love. I was yeah. certainly Lulu's best movie too. <laughs> Did Lulu I think make Lulu, another movie? I think Lulu brought something out in him. He was never better. And I think, <laughs> you know how actors, you know, will <laughs> basically up their game when they're working with better actors. And I think for Sidney Poitier to actually be doing one-on-one -on -one scenes with Lulu I think it elevated his performance. Well, here's a spoiler with Juicer with Love. Lulu never changes her shirt in the entire movie. She's in a purple little mock turtleneck and white pearls for the entire movie, um, which was very interesting. Spoiler alert, she also sings <laughs> in, the, in the movie. She, she can do she, it all. She does it quite she well. She can do it all. When is she going to be on your show? She should be in my bubble. I, well, I, I would have to. I reached out to Olivia Hussey the other day. Olivia. Wow. Wow. And she from, answered From me. Romeo and Juliet? Yes. And she answered me. She's going to do my show in the fall. I Fantastic. I know. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably the first call she's had since no, 1983. Be, be nice. Be nice. No, she's wonderful. I love Olivia Hussey. She, they just, I had a big doing, crush on her in that movie. She was, wow. They were beautiful. They were the two most beautiful people in the world then. Lynn, Lynn, Lynn oh, there was a guy her. in it? Yeah. <laughs> There was Romeo. Yes, there was. Um, but I had as big a crush on her as I did on him. They were so beautiful. So, all right, Ken. So let's go back and talk about how the hell you got to be this funny boy. So, okay. So where'd you grow up, Ken? I grew up in uh, the San Fernando Valley. That's really true, huh? That's really true in, in Woodland Hills. Wow. You've, and, you've traveled uh, far. Yeah, really. <laughs> I, I, you know, I went to my high school reunion and I was shocked that I would say 50 to 70% of the people who I graduated with live within five miles of the high school still. Wow. You know, that they just, they settled in the valley. And um, okay. I ventured over the hill, <laughs> but, uh, but I went to UCLA. I went yeah. to Taft High in, in Woodland Hills. Okay, wait, before you go there, were you the class clown? Were you the funny no, kid? No, um, I, you know, I would, I would say funny things and, uh, you know, people in, in my uh, annual would say that I was really funny. Right. They wouldn't go out with me. I, I wasn't that <laughs> funny, apparently. But um, no, I, I, I was not that guy who was just seeking attention. Um, I had a, a history class Mm -hmm. where um, instead of exams, every Monday, she would assign us essay questions based on the material that she was going to talk about in class and the chapters that we had to read that week. Uh -huh. And I was getting Bs, B minuses. And there was like one week, it was Thursday night. And I realized, oh my God, I haven't done this. So I sat down at 1130 to write out these essay questions. I hadn't read the book. 
And I just decided if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail spectacularly. And I just put in a bunch of jokes and stuff and I turned it in and I got an A. Wow. And uh, so I figure, okay, well, next week I'll do the same thing. And, and I got an A plus. Wow. And, and I figured, you know what? There's gold in them, our hills. So between that and watching the Dick Van Dyke show and being in love with Laura Petrie and <laughs> seeing that, wow, you could get a girl like Laura Petrie and you don't have to throw a spiral. I, I could be funny. <laughs> I could be funny. Maybe I'm assuming maybe sports there's was something not your good thing. about being a comedy writer. Okay, we're going to talk about how you got get became a sports announcer, but I'm assuming you weren't playing sports with all this talk. Were you playing? No, sports? No, no, I was terrible. No, I was, no. I was, I was <laughs> uncoordinated, <laughs> terrible, depth perception problems. I'd be standing in the outfield and there would like be a fly ball and it would hit me in the head. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, uh, I loved sports. I love baseball. Uh, but I always, from the time I was eight, I wanted to be a, a baseball announcer. Okay, so my son, I believe you had contact with my son, with Harry. What, uh, where did that passion come from? And, and what did you do about it? Because you became one. How did you, how did you manifest well, that? Well, my passion stemmed from listening to Vin Scully hmm. and, and the Dodgers. And as a kid, thinking, oh, man, if you're an announcer with a team, you get to travel to exotic cities like Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, and someone else <laughs> pays for it. <laughs> oh my God, how do I get this job? Uh, but it was, I, I was in my mid thirties, midlife crisis. And I decided if I didn't pursue this now, I never would. So I started going to the upper deck of Dodger Stadium with a tape recorder and just started calling games night after night. Wait a minute, and, you didn't start doing this until your thirties? Yeah. Okay, continue. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm like, so wow. I was, 30, okay. I was 36 when I when I started doing this. And the very first game I did, I did it from like the back row of general admission away from anybody. And here's how here's how good I was. The usher <laughs> came down and said he would arrange a ride for me home because <laughs> he thought I was like so drunk that I couldn't drive myself. So now wait, you're back there with your with your tape recorder mm -hmm. and you just start doing the play-by-play. -play. Yeah. And now is that for practice or is that because yes. you're going to send it to someone? Yeah, no, no, no. just for practice. At first it was just for practice. Eventually to get good enough that I could send out tapes to minor league cities. And, uh, and that's what I did after a couple of years. And I got a job in Syracuse, which was AAA. That was the Toronto Blue Jays AAA affiliate in uh, 1988. Um, was there a year and then moved to Tidewater, which was the Mets AAA affiliate. Wow. And did that for two years. And there was an opening with the Baltimore Orioles. And I sent in my tape and miraculously, I got that job. So okay, so there I, love I was this. in 1991 with John Miller and Chuck Thompson calling Orioles baseball. And you made this happen yourself. Okay, so I love this because you you created your own reality. So you you started doing this. You would listen back to the to what you did, obviously, right. to improve to up your 
So if you listen to those very early ones, as opposed to the ones you were doing two, two years later, had you changed a lot in that time? Oh my God, I improved considerably. And I really improved with three years of the minors, doing games every day and seeing a lot of situations. I made a lot of mistakes in the mm. minor leagues. You know, I sucked. I blew home run calls left and right. And, <laughs> and there would be plays that would throw me. And then when I was in the majors, so I did Baltimore and Seattle and San, San Diego. Diego. Yes. Yeah. Um, I would see the same plays and I would instantly think, okay, all right. I saw that same thing one night in Rochester. I wow. know what this is. I know how to call it. And I would call it correctly. But if that had been the first time I had seen that play, then I would have sounded like an idiot on <laughs> 42 stations on the Seattle Mariners radio network. Uh, I just sounded like an idiot on one station in Syracuse. When so I saw that so were originally. you able, when you were doing it yourself in back in the general admission seats, would you catch yourself making an, would you know when you made an error when it was sometimes just, sure. And, and how would you do like the color? Uh, you didn't have a computer there with you to start talking. No, about. what I had was the Dodgers at least let me go down to the press box for five minutes and get the game notes. So I had wow. game notes, but I, I had, and, and I like really went to town with this. Um, I had my, cassette recorder, I had a, a little portable mixer, I had headset microphone, and uh, I would sit in the front row of general admission right behind home plate above the timberline. And I also had a crowd mic that I would drape over the railing wow. so they would have like a nice full professional sound. And wow. uh, I had index cards where I would write down the outfielders and the defensive alignment, and I taped that to the railing, and 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 I would sit there and call these games. And I had a couple of regulars, who were these drunks who would come down and and sit with me, wow. and I would buy them all a beer every night, and they would bring binoculars and they would like watch the bullpen for me, wow. and they would like watch to see if there was like a a pinch hitter or something. But if someone was warming up in the bullpen, because the bullpens were in a different time zone, right. they were like so <laughs> far away, you know, and they would like slip me a note, you know, that uh, Bert Blylevin is warming up for the twins. So uh, they they were they were very helpful for me. But yeah, I would I would sit in the stands and just do this night after night. And there were people who thought I was completely nuts. But that's the only way that you can really learn. That is, um, and so, and you couldn't do it from home. You had to be no, at the game. No, you kind of had to be there. You know, I, I had to be able to see the plays on my own and not it, just what the TV showed right, me. Plus right. I had the crowd and, and I was really part of it as opposed to just sitting in your house with the sound down, uh, you know, there's a drive to deep left field. <laughs> oh, look at that catch. You're like, you sound like an idiot. So, so how much, like, I remember, Jen, I was a big baseball fan and general admission seats 
back in in the late 60s 70 like we're a dollar 35 oh or yeah something. these were like 250 okay and so and i would always go in the general admission section because you know if somebody was paying big money to sit in the field boxes and this was like their one game a year <laughs> they don't want some <laughs> skeezik sitting next to them you know Calling going hey uh <laughs> You know, uh, a nice cold Pepsi would taste good right about now. Whoa, <laughs> there's a line drive foul. You know, they, they don't want that. But if you're sitting in the general admission section, it was not reserved seating. And I thought if somebody was annoyed by me, well, they could just sit somewhere else. So you were not the one to move. If they didn't like it, then they right. moved. Right, yeah. Because yeah. you had And a at the setup. time, in the mid-80s, the Dodgers weren't all that great. So it's not like they were selling out every night. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and if I'm sitting in the front row too, I'm calling out, unless you're like right around me, you don't really hear it. And so you're already a successful comedy writer when you're doing this. Yes. So that gave you a little bit of credit. So that's how you got to go to the downstairs and get the... The Dodger. I, I don't know whether that or just I, I remember calling the Dodger PR office and saying, you know, I'm an aspiring broadcaster and I'm sitting up in general admission and I'm buying tickets. Um, can I at least come down for two minutes and get the game notes? Now, of course, all of that stuff is available online. Wow. You know, but back in those days, you know, you could, I, I would show up at the stadium and I had this like big camera bag and I had all this equipment and, and everything and a water bottle and stuff. And like, now you can't go into a stadium with all that stuff. Right. Of course. Yeah. Of course. So, so Ken, so to get that first gig, you sent your, you sent your, your tape. I sent a tape of like an exciting half inning uh, which I took from the 1986 Angels uh, Red Sox um, American League Championship Series. And I sent that tape around to only the cities that my wife thought would be fun to spend a, a bucolic summer. Uh, I, you know, there's like 140 uh, minor league teams and I was hoping she'd like mark off 60. She marked off 20. And of those 20, I got three, um, three hits. I got Vero Beach, Florida, which was uh, the Dodgers, wow. but that was a, a lower minor league team. Mm -hmm. I got like Eugene, Oregon in the Northwest League, which was a shortened season. And then I got Syracuse, which was AAA. And so I, I took that. And a lot of great broadcasters uh, have come out of the Syracuse Chiefs. Um, yeah. so, uh, so Matt Baskurgeon and Jason Ben. I'll just list some names here. Jason Benetti, uh, Sean McDonough, um, Dan Horde. Uh, the list goes on and on. Kevin Brown. A lot of great announcers came out of uh, Syracuse. And then there was me. <laughs> and how long, Ken, did you do that before you got into Major League Baseball? Three years. Three years. Yeah. And so for three years, you did a full season of, of AAA baseball. 
Yep. And and were you still writing TV yes. comedy? Yes. I was how, writing. So how did you do both of those things? I would send in scripts and uh, then, you know, the, the production season would usually start in August mm -hmm. and go through to March. And the minor league season always ended on Labor Day. So I missed maybe two, three weeks of, uh, of production. And then I was back for the whole rest of the year. And during the summer, I would write scripts on the road and send them in. You this were was one on Cheers. busy I was boy. on Cheers at the time. Wow. And so you, did you have to do prep for the games? Oh, yeah. So oh, you're yeah. doing a lot of homework. You're doing a lot of writing and homework. Yes. Yeah. No, you had to learn about the players and, uh, you know, the statistics and that, that type of thing. Although looking back at it, I mean, look, it was the minor leagues. So uh, you could say, you could say anything. Like, how's anyone, you know, going to look it up? <laughs> and I was doing a TV game once in Syracuse and my partner who was somebody who worked for the TV station and not the team. Mm -hmm. So he was doing uh, the color for me and the play by play. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I would talk to him and he would not listen to anything I said. He would just like <laughs> ignore me. So I would say things like, you know, we had a player who had like a gold medallion mm -hmm. uh, around his neck. And I would say, uh, you know, uh, Eric Yelding, uh, that gold medallion around his neck uh, is a Tony Award that he won for choreography. <laughs> and then my partner would go, uh, yeah, yeah. And the next pitch is low. <laughs> so you get away with some of that. Yeah, I don't think I could get away with that uh, in the big leagues. But in the minor leagues, I was able to get away with with some of that nonsense. So now for that three years that you were doing AAA baseball, were you sending stuff to me? When did, when did you start to try to get into major league baseball? How did that happen? I sent tapes, at, I think after my second year, mm -hmm. I sent tapes and there were no takers. And look, it's, it's luck plays so much into this. Um, there happened to be an opening in Baltimore. I happen to have a, a good tape. Um, I happened to, you know, my partner was John Miller who has a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And so we, we really clicked. Um, so like a lot of things happened to just fall into place. And I wound up, I, cause I never thought I would actually make it to the big leagues. I, I thought really, just to be able to do this, just to be able to get up in the morning. And my only responsibility was to go to a baseball stadium and <laughs> call a baseball game. I, well, that's kind of fun. So I'll, I'll do that for a while. Were you uh, but I never be... really thought I would make it to the major leagues. It's, it's, it's fantastic that you manifested this. Were you able to be funny when you were yes. doing play-by-play? Play? Yes, yes, I was. Um, and considering I could not draw upon my experience as a uh, former a ball player. player. <laughs> well, he's got to make that play. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I would 
when it was appropriate mm -hmm. or we had a, a terrible game, um, I would, <laughs> yeah, I would utilize my sense of humor from time to time. Yeah. And some people loved it. And, you know, there's some baseball purists that just hated it. Just, just tell us the score <laughs> and what's happening. Well, there's comedy. We don't want any comedy. And it's like, this is the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> We're going to lose a hundred games. It's 14 to one Cleveland. And we're in the third inning. Oh, I'm going to analyze why his backdoor slider isn't working. Like, come on. How am I going to keep my listeners? Just got to have some fun. Okay, so I assume that when you were doing Major League Baseball, you weren't able to be in the comedy rooms, right? In the, in the comedy you, room, you, you, years, you mean? You, yeah, you weren't still able well, to. Well, the be. season ended like the beginning of October. And with the exception of one season with the Padres, um, my teams never made the playoffs. So that was never a problem. So, yeah, so I would miss like five weeks uh, of the season. Uh, before jumping back in. Wow. And so you were able to straddle both of those all the way through? Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. You are, you are, um, wow. What a, you, you work hard. Yeah, I did. That, that, that's, that's definitely true. I, I, I did work hard. But look, I, I love the baseball job. Uh, I loved, uh, TV writing. And I, I loved being on Cheers at the time. You know, when I started with Syracuse mm -hmm. and I'm doing my very first game and the thought hit me that, you know, when I would go to Dodger Stadium and do games every night, you know, if I had a cold, so I missed a couple of nights or if somebody was having a birthday party or something, I'd go and do the birthday party. Uh, but now, I've got to do 144 games, home and away. What happens if after two weeks, I decide, you know what? I hate this and I have 126 more games to go. And as it turned out, I loved it. And mm -hmm. I was depressed when the season came to an end and I, I couldn't do it anymore. So that's when I knew I was really bitten by the bug. Ken, what was your, what was your work ethic? What was your day like when you were doing both of these things simultaneously? I can't even imagine. What did your day look like when you were doing both of these things? Um, I would spend the morning either at my rented home or in, you know, the Toledo red roof in or wherever <laughs> you know whatever dive we were staying at mm -hmm. and i would be writing scripts uh and then three in the afternoon i would go out to the ballpark and do all of my work and talk to managers and coaches and the other broadcasters and gather all of my information uh, i also uh would write on uh bus trips and um uh, and uh flights because we sometimes uh, would fly commercial. Uh, there was one time I was writing a, a Cheers episode on the flight and I'm sitting in the aisle and one of our players came by and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm writing a Cheers script. And he said, okay, put me in. And I said, okay. 
<laughs> and it rose the name into into the script. I love it. Yeah. Now, but you had a writing partner, David Isaacs. How did you? Yes. How did you do that while you were doing that? Well, we would split up the scripts. Normally, David and I would write together, mm -hmm. uh, head to head. But we always wanted to be able to write individually so that our partnership was one that was out of choice and not dependence. Mm -hmm. It's not like, yeah, I know I'm an hour late, but I'm the funny guy. <laughs> You know, uh, we remained partners because we both felt that the sum of our work together was better than than each of us individually. Uh, so in those cases, I would have to write um, the, the, the scripts myself and he would write the scripts himself. And then we would switch and I, I would polish his and he would polish mine and and we, we put it together. Oh, we would only do that like one or two scripts a year. And the rest of the time we wrote them together. We would write an average of six to eight Cheers episodes a season. We ended up writing 40 episodes of, of Cheers over the, wow. 11, over wow. the 11 years. How yeah. did you guys find each other? We met in an Army Reserve unit. What? Uh, there was the the original army draft in 1969 based on your birthday. Right. And if you were selected like one to 125, you were getting drafted 126 to 250. It all depended on whether they needed you. And after 250, if you got a, a low number, you were pretty much safe. If you were 311, you were safe. My what number was, your was number? four. Oh my God. My draft number was four. I remember sitting in a room when they called those first numbers that first year. You must have been, oh, I can't even imagine what your yeah. mother. Oh yeah. And David, David was much luckier than me. His number was seven. Oh my Lord. And so I got myself into an armed forces radio reserve unit. Wow. And, uh, and I met David a few years later, we were at army summer camp and he was reading the George S. Kaufman biography. First of all, just to see a soldier reading a book is pretty novel. And George S. Kaufman was one of my idols. I love Kaufman and Hart and uh, all of their plays. And so we started talking and we both had this desire to be a writer at the time. I graduated from UCLA and I was a top 40 disc jockey wow. bouncing around the country as Beaver Cleaver. And at that point I was doing all nights in San Bernardino. So my career was really meteoric. And uh, so we talked about, yeah, it would be fun to try writing something. Neither of us had written anything. And then summer camp was over. And I went back to San Bernardino and promptly got fired and came back to Los Angeles to live with my parents while I sent out more tapes. And I called David and I said, you remember me? Uh, I'm thinking of writing a script. You want to write it with me? And we decided to form a partnership. And uh, we have essentially been partners ever since. Wow. Uh, it's like 48 years now. 
that it's unbelievable. And so four and seven ended up being pretty damn lucky for both. It, of you. you know, it, it really was because mm -hmm. I look back at it and if I hadn't gone into the army, I never would have met my partner, probably mm -hmm. never would have launched a writing career. And our big break was writing MASH. And we never could have written MASH if we didn't have that authority over the world, which we gained by actually being in the military. Wow. So in a way, it, uh, it did turn out to be a really fortuitous thing for me. But you couldn't have convinced me of that the night that they were calling, calling the numbers. The numbers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So before your number, so you're a kid, you want to be a sports announcer. You, what do you go to college for? What's your major in college? Uh, psychology. I wanted to do television and radio, but my father said, you know, take advantage of this academic four year window and study something real. So I, my BA is in psychology, which I have only used to write Frazier and Lilith's psychobabble. Uh, <laughs> Very but, well, though. Yeah. So that prepared you for that. That's yeah. good. Uh -huh. So that's, that's, that's what I did. That's, that's what I did at UCLA. And I got involved in the campus radio station. But I assume that the, the college, you were drafted first, right? You were 18 when you were, weren't you 18 when you were drafted? No, if you had a school deferment, you right. could postpone that so, so I when had, did you go into I went in in 1970 and you were I was 20 you were 20 although when I was 19 when I was 19 I got a, a weekend job as a sports intern at a radio station in LA called KMPC which was a big full service radio station mm -hmm. and our afternoon disc jockey was Gary Owens Wow. At the time was also on Laugh-In, yeah. which was the number one show in America mm -hmm. at the time. Gary had this beautiful, deep, resonant voice. And I would write comedy bits for Gary to use on his radio show, not to be paid, but just, you know, it, it was enough of a reward that the great Gary Owens would read my lines or do my bits. And occasionally he would even let me come on the air with him and, and do this. And um, so one day I get a call, would I meet with George Slaughter, who is the showrunner of Laugh-In mm -hmm. tomorrow at four o'clock? And I'm like, what does he want with me? Okay. So I drive over to NBC Burbank and mm -hmm. I meet with him and mm -hmm. Gary unsolicited had given Slaughter the material that I had written for him. Wow. And George Slaughter offered me a job to wow. be a writer on Laugh-In. Wow. I'm 19 years old. Job pays like $50,000 a year to write for the number one show. Wow. I'm making a dollar 25 on <laughs> uh as an intern at KMPC, I said, can I do this part-time? And he said, no, no, you have to be here in the office uh, all day. And I said, I can't take the job because I would have lost my 2S deferment and I would have been oh. drafted in like two months. 
Oh, so oh. I had to turn down this $50,000 a year job, 19 years old, turning down a $50,000. Writing for laughing, laughing. Writing for laughing. Like, wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I, I know that you have limited time. You're going off to do a gig. So I, I want to make sure we get some of this stuff in. So when did you first start writing comedy? When do you realize you can write comedy? Aside from the essays you were doing, that is that when you realized that you could write comedy? Kind of, yeah. And when David, look, when David and I started, I had to go to a bookstore in Hollywood and there was a remainder table that had TV scripts. Mm -hmm. I had to buy an odd couple TV script to even see what the format was like, because right. we didn't even know that. And we started by writing a pilot. Mm -hmm. We we didn't know anything about outlining, but we had a good time and we enjoyed writing with each other. And then uh, a writer friend said, the way you break in is by writing episodes of existing shows. Right. So we love the Mary Tyler Moore show. So what we did, this was Saturday nights at nine o'clock and there was no VCRs. Mm -hmm. uh, we would sit in front of the television and I would hold up a microphone at a little cassette recorder and we would record the Mary Tyler Moore show. Then we would go back and write an outline of the show based on what we saw. And we did that week after week after week until eventually we started figuring out the patterns and figuring out the logic of how they plotted these shows. And that's, we wrote a Mary Tyler Moore show and that's how we started. And uh, it was rejected by the folks at the Mary Tyler Moore show, but the Jeffersons read our Mary Tyler Moore and they were impressed and hired us. And that was our first sale was, uh, was the Jeffersons. But we would night, every Saturday night, we would get together and watch and study the Mary Tyler Moore show. And I, and I say, you know, if I had a girlfriend, I probably would not be a writer today, you know, because <laughs> the Saturday night, it's like, if I were getting laid, then, <laughs> then I'd, I'd have no career. I'd be a pipe fitter today. And so was there, did you, did you read books? Did you, or you, you did it from watching the show and how long would you say you guys were watching and studying before you actually put fingers to the keyboard? Probably about seven, eight weeks. And then we wrote a spec Mary Tyler Moore show and we did a big rewrite on that. And then we did uh, a spec Rhoda and that was rejected. Ironically, it was rejected uh, by Charlotte Brown, who is now a dear friend and a neighbor. Charlotte lives like three doors down. And to this day, I'll see Charlotte and I'll go, read it over one more time. Just one more time. Look, there's some really good jokes. I know, I know we missed on some things, but I think if you take another look at it, there, there's something there. Well, the thing is, okay, so, oh my gosh. In now you can't write a spec script for the show that you want to write for. You have to write for another show, right? So well, you can. The problem with writing a spec script for a certain show is they know their show so well right. that anything that you do wrong, they're going to recognize, but other shows won't. Although today, mostly uh, agents and producers and networks and studios 
want original material. They want pilots. So there's less of that issue. But it's also tough now because there's not a lot of mainstream shows that that you can write for. You know, if you're writing a spec for some show that you that you like uh, that's on Amazon Prime, uh, you know, chances are there's going to be a lot of producers who go, what is this? I've never heard of this thing. Right. Right. So, so okay. So, so first success was the Jeffersons. Right. And how long did you guys, how long were you guys at the Jeffersons? We just wrote that one episode. And then we wrote two episodes of Joe and Sons for CBS. I don't remember Joe Richard Costa. You don't remember that? <laughs> I don't. You don't remember that? That's what we're known for. <laughs> It's iconic. It's iconic. <laughs> Florence Stanley was in it. Jerry Stiller. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and Barry then... Miller was, I mean, my God. My I don't God. know where I've been. There's, yeah. I think there's a tribute to it at the Paley Center next week. <laughs> Joe and Sons. I can't believe that. So from there, we did some story work for uh, Barney Miller. And then we got our big break in um, getting a MASH assignment. And we did a MASH assignment, which uh, that year we were doing freelance for MASH. And that script was like our golden ticket. And we got a, an assignment for the Tony Randall show at MTM. And based on our first draft of the Tony Randall show, uh, they hired us on staff. So that was our first staff. And we were on staff of the Tony Randall show and on the weekends we were writing MASH. And wow. after that season of Tony Randall, we got offered uh, MASH full-time. So we went over to MASH. And again, luck has so much to do with this. The head writer, it was a very small staff back then. It was just a head writer and us. And the head writer left. Oh, wow. Like two thirds of the way into the season. And, uh, and David and I uh, became the head writers. We were like 26, 27 years old. And you wrote every script of MASH? We didn't write every script. Well, you were the only we, ones there. We, well, we, oh, people were saying- we, we would have freelance, we would rewrite them. We right. wrote a lot of scripts ourselves, but uh, yeah, we would have freelance writers come in and, and do scripts. Wow. Okay. so. Of you've had so many great shows. I'm, I, we're getting to the end of our time. So, so Cheers, so uh, Frasier, so The Simpsons, Wings, Everybody Loves Raymond, all those experiences. What was the most fun for you? What, what, what show was the most fun for you to write for? Um, other than shows that we created, which were fun because they were our shows and almost perfect with Nancy Travis. Uh, I would say of all of those shows, my personal favorite, and it's, mm -hmm. you know, you mentioned Sophie's Choice. It's this really is Sophie's Choice. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say Cheers. Mm -hmm. I just, I related to that show. Uh, we wrote for that show for 11 years and I never oh got tired of it. Wow. I never got tired of those characters. Um, so if I had to pick one, I would say Cheers. And, and again, it is Sophie's choice. And uh, so, and then you wrote for Ted Danson later, Becker, right? For you, Becker, and Becker. I directed Becker. Mm -hmm. And you directed it. And so how was it to write for him again, 
different character. Did you did you have a knowingness with him after 11 years? Yeah, um, but we knew the new character and we had seen him uh, read the pilot. So we knew that he could do it, that he could be this guy. And it was a fun character to write for. It was a show created by Dave Hackle. Mm -hmm. And it was a very fun character because he was a real curmudgeon and the kind of, of character who could say things that you wanted to say, but, but you couldn't. Uh, God, I'd love to see Becker today. <laughs> <laughs> in the, this woke world of ours bring mm -hmm. back becker <laughs> and so when did you start directing ken and how did that happen started directing in the early 90s uh wings was my first show um I, you know i just after years of being a showrunner and coming down to the stage and going wait this isn't the way it should be blocked and then going to editing and going okay so where's like a nice two shot where we see the dress well we don't have one we don't have one you know uh so after all of that i thought you know i would like to to try my hand at at directing and it also seemed like it was like more fun down on the stage it's like everyone is is playing and you're putting the show together and it it seemed like fun and you know, dealing with cameras and camera crews and, and people. Um, so that's, that's how I started. And I, I've directed about, I think, 60, 60 65 that, shows yeah, that, now. Unbelievable. And then playwriting, how did, how did, when did, how did that start for you? That started around, I think around the year 2000. You know, I, I got to a point where I wanted to write what I wanted to write without uh, getting notes and without worrying about, well, they're not buying uh, shows with characters of that age. It's like, I wanna write about people I care about, ideas that I have. Um, and and I, I also just love the, the experience of being in a live theater and hearing actors doing my material and hearing it get genuine laughs from, from the audience. Um, and it's, it's, it's really been liberating. It's really fun. I, I, I write whatever I wanna write. I take as long as I want. Uh, you know, there's not a deadline that I have to have it in by Tuesday. Right. Uh, it's, it's just, it's really just writing you know, for the soul. And during the pandemic, when I had nothing else to do, uh, I wrote several plays just because I like, what else have I got to do? So now I've run out of play ideas. I'm waiting for my next play idea. So I was one of those audience members laughing at one of your plays. It was a baseball play. It was a play. About oh, baseball. thank you. And yeah, going, uh, going, gone. Thank that's you. And it was wonderful and I enjoyed it so much. So what is, what I, so you were prolific during the, the pandemic, not a lot of people were. What, what, it, what has been your writing discipline, your daily discipline in this time? Take a lot of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, 
television teaches you. Do you have a you, daily thing that you even No, with? I don't really have, you know, a thing where, you know, I have to play Jackie Wilson records for 10 <laughs> minutes and, you know, clean my, uh, my bobblehead collection. No, uh, but television teaches you discipline and it, it teaches you, it's like, all right, I'm going to sit down and write now. So do you I, do I that every write, day? Usually. How, usually. how long would you say you write every day? Mm, three hours, maybe. Mm -hmm. I write a lot at night, which I got used to because when the kids were little, you know, you feed them and you give them a bath and you read them stories and then you put them to bed and suddenly it's 8, 30, 9 o'clock and the house is quiet. And uh, so I do, I would say the bulk of my writing from nine o'clock at night till one or two in the morning. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so what, what's cooking for you now? What, what's got your passion now? Well, I've got a number of plays that mm -hmm. pandemic uh, permitting are going to be done. I've got a, a play in Florida, a play in uh, outside of Chicago and a play at Cape May stage this wow. summer. I'm very excited about um, a number of my plays have been published and I'm drawing cartoons for the New Yorker. Which, how did that start? That started, well, I've always done cartooning. I put it away for a long time and I happened to connect with a, a cartoonist from the New Yorker named Julia Suits, who was just phenomenal. And she has sort of served as, as my mentor. And wow. I have been drawing, you know, you think, well, if you, if you know how to draw, so you put it away for three or four decades and then you just pick it up and, uh, you know, it's like riding a bike. No, no, it's like I had to relearn how to draw. So wow. I'm still improving. I've been, been doing it pretty religiously like for the last six months and over the last few months, finally getting up the nerve to submit to the New Yorker. And, uh, and I sold one that was just in the magazine a couple of weeks ago. So, so that's a real, real bucket list thing for me. Cause that's so know, exciting. How, how, how long would you say you work on a cartoon? How long did you work on that cartoon that you sent off and sold? Probably an hour. Oh my God. But you got it, but you got to submit like 10 every week. So you're, you're doing lots and lots of cartoons and coming up with lots and lots of ideas that, that get rejected. And, and everybody, all of the New Yorker cartoonists have to send their batches of 10 a week. So right. even the cartoonists who you see almost every week, for every cartoon that got accepted, there's probably, you know, 30 to 100 that got rejected. It's, wow. not, it's, not, it's not a field to go into if you, you can't stand rejection because you get a lot of it. Like every week you submit your batch on Tuesday and then you hear back on Friday and it's either yay or, you know, <laughs> And are you, and David, another week. are you and David working on anything right now? At the moment, no. Okay. At the, but 
if you have something for us, you know, if we come, <laughs> we had a, we did a pilot a few years ago for uh, USA. Um, they kind of recruited us to do a pilot. So, yeah. And does interestingly- Netflix or Amazon, do, do, sorry for interrupting. Do Amazon, Netflix, does that kind of thing call to you guys at all? <laughs> they don't, the phone. <laughs> it's not like I'm on airport mode. Uh, no, I mean, is that something you guys would like to do or does that not? If an idea, if an idea came to us that we were passionate about, and they would give us the freedom to just do our show, yes, we would be happy to do it. But mm -hmm. to go through the process again and to get notes from 75 people and, uh, and to have to have casting approved and have to have the wardrobe approved and stuff like that, no, I'd rather write my plays and, and draw my little cartoons. <laughs> it's, it's thrilling. And, and just, does baseball still speak to you? Does that still excite you? Um, it does. It's not as great a game uh, as as it was. Mm -hmm. um, all of the strikeouts and hitting home runs and games, three hours and 25 minutes. Um, it's like I said, I, I think baseball was better before all of the analytics, mm -hmm. you know, and there was a Dodger playoff game. It was one to one going into the bottom of the ninth inning, one to one. And it was at the four hour and 15 minute mark. That's oh insane. That's insane. Games like that should be over in two hours and, and 23 minutes, which reminds me, I'm going to have to leave. Yes. Here and and I, I was just looking at the clock and saying, uh, I've kept you longer than I planned to, but it was so much fun. Ken, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, my this. pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to look for your plays and your cartoons, Hollywood and Levine. Right. And by Ken Levine, and I'll put the links in the in the show. Thank you so much, Ken. Have a thank you. Thank evening. you guys for watching and listening. Absolutely. Take care, Ken. Bye bye. Bye.